Hey everybody, this is Mike from Bases Loaded here. And this is just a reminder that Bases Loaded is part of the Rotoballer Radio Podcast Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away and providing millions of fantasy baseball owners their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2020 MLB Draft Kit is live. And all of you, our Bases Loaded listeners, can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code BASESLOADED. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit. Along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers and busts, more than 300 2020 player outlooks, and tons of in-season tools. All of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code BASESLOADED. That's BASESLOADED, just all one word. Just go to rotoballer.com BASESLOADED and get your draft kit today. Two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome in everybody to episode 102. That's 102. That's crazy. Me still hit triple digits, but um, this is bases loaded, fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host Mike Curlin. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. And today, I am joined by a very special guest. This is Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ. You can follow him on Twitter at RyanBHQ. He's the writer, social media, social media director, associate editor, baseball forecaster over there at Baseball HQ. That is a tongue twister. It is a lot. You're also an FSA award winner and a five-time finalist. Ryan, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. All that good stuff. Yeah, Curlin, thanks for having me on. Well, well done with the intro. I should probably pare that down next time. Uh, a lot of words there, but uh, yeah. good to be on with you, even though you put me all in last night in poker and and, and, Listen, and took me out very early on in the night, but I, 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 I forgive you. I don't. It's nothing personal. It's all business, my friend. I knew. Sure. I should. I should. I should have played nice, knowing you were coming on the podcast the very next morning. But at the same time, I was half asleep. To be completely honest, <laughs> like, it, it's very on brand for me to be half asleep when I do things. So that's the energy drink this morning, which people can't see, but you can. I'm drinking an energy drink at like eleven o'clock in the morning because coffee isn't going to cut it. But uh, I wasn't the one drinking last night either. So it's crazy that I'm like that tired. It feels like I was. Well, one of the few not drinking last night. It was yeah. a good time. It was a hilarious and a fantastic time. And for those who don't know, it was a uh, little bit of a poker game for people taking part in PitchCon. Ryan's going to be taking, he's going to be doing his, his own segment on on their presentation, I should say. Gets to speak a whole hour on some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to actually discuss a little bit of how uh, Bloomfield got started in the industry, where uh, where he's where he's at now, and everything in between, and kind of go that route. We'll talk a little bit about player evaluation, and we'll also discuss a few players he's in and he's out on. With all that said, let's start at the very beginning. The origin story. I always have my guests t- tell it. I like. I love hearing how it all got started. So, how did you even get into fantasy, and then transition that to how you got where you're at now? Yeah, uh, the the origin story, the the book of Genesis here. I <laughs> I started actually I started playing fantasy back in like 1999 with. Um, a family league that my brother started brought in uh, my dad a couple uncles cousins my grandma was in the league we started that in 99 in a points league on this site called sandbox and still play that today on espn so that's how i got started um it's obviously a great way to just keep in touch with with the fam but um Started really getting into the industry and really into fantasy baseball when I was in college. So like 2008, I remember I ordered my first uh, baseball forecaster, just searching online and trying to find uh, more information about um, about the game. So got the got the forecaster. I, I opened that up, read it, and kind of the light bulb went off. So I subscribed to Baseball HQ shortly after that, and was a subscriber for a couple of years. When they eventually kind of held up the the help wanted sign and started writing with them in 2012 uh, was the first year that I was doing content for HQ. And since then, I have been with HQ throughout, writing pretty much all kinds of columns. Um, 
matchups columns, facts and flukes, player analysis columns, kind of worked my way up over 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 years and, and started getting into social media and working on the forecaster. It was a thrill a couple of years ago to have my my name and very small font on the cover <laughs> of the book that got me started. So um, that's awesome, man. I mean, yeah. Not- not everyone could say they actually they started off in the industry where they started off as a as a consumer. It's kind of a cool full circle thing there. And at what point did you feel, you know what, I want to start putting out analysis? For me, personally, it was when I was listening to a podcast and found myself arguing with the person like in my head, arguing with like the analysis I was receiving. I was like, you know what, I have an opinion now. Let's start talking about it. Is that kind of how it went with you? Like you started realizing, you know what, I'm educated on this stuff. I'm, I'm learning it. Let me put my opinion out there. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny. I don't know if I've ever been asked that, but I, I I was in grad school, I guess, when I was applying and just writing a lot for for grad school. And part of that was baseball. Um, so I just really felt like writing. I had we were talking about this before we went on air, but I read uh, the book Fantasyland by Sam Walker about um, his trials and tribulations in, in tout wars as a as an outsider, quote unquote. And uh, just really like got intrigued with the whole industry, kind of the characters involved, the community, and I wanted to be a part of that. So um, I did it kind of the in the way I could, which was again just to apply through HQ and and work up through those ranks as opposed to going like the independent route. Um, obviously, many different ways to to get where people are in the industry today. But um, yeah, just had some ideas. I. I thoroughly enjoy numbers which we'll probably talk about with with bloom boards later on and also at PitchCon. but um love doing numbers love analysis and baseball and fantasy baseball is just the prime space for that so i love it it's a thrill um I, you know, it, it, it just drives me to, to keep on going and the, the community involved in, in, in fantasy baseball just makes it that much better. Um, everyone says how, you know, how much they hate Twitter and it's, 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 a uh, you know, so polarizing, but, uh, the fantasy baseball community is the opposite of that. It's awesome to interact curling with people like you with, uh, you know, just meeting everyone that comes into the industry every year and, and really crushes it. So, um, that's uh that's my story and and it's it's been fun and keep on going until uh you know until hopefully we have a season this year so speaking of community i was gonna ask how you feel about the community as a whole i mean people always have great things to say and have you you've pretty much found it welcoming from day one right and now are you at the point like you're at the point now where you're almost giving back like you're coming on someone like me i just started this podcast a little over a year ago and you're kind of again paying it forward taking the time out to kind of come out here to be on the podcast which i appreciate and have you found it's always been kind of that atmosphere that culture like everyone always is so willing to help each other out no matter as long as you treat people well they'll treat you well back essentially that's absolutely the case and the thing i found too it's not just like smoke and mirrors and people being nice to each other online people are nice to each other online we support each other we give each other feedback but I've also noticed just in person, like, so I've been to, I've been going to HQ's first pitch Arizona since 2012, 2013. And for everyone that you meet online, they're just as nice and giving in person when you meet them. And you probably, Mike, noticed this when you went to Florida, first pitch Florida this year, which unfortunately I couldn't make it. So I couldn't meet you in person, but, um, uh, just it, it's, it, it amazes me how when you sit back and think about it, like, we're technically competitors. Like we all have our own sites and we're all, you know, I mean, we're not obviously in this for the money. Like it's a hobby, but we, and we have our own websites and we kind of throw that all out the window when we, when we meet up in person and talk online and just enjoy each other's company, enjoy um, talking baseball um, and now craft beer and bourbon, which is becoming mm-hmm. a fantasy baseball industry staple. But um, that's one of the big things that's kept me going, kept the drive going is just uh, yeah. Meeting everyone and, you know, every year a bunch of new people come into the industry wanting to break in and it's just great to uh to talk with them and meet as many folks as possible and when you see that in person at some of these uh, first pitch conferences you definitely get that and definitely noticing that with pitch con uh here as well like it's it's been fantastic 
and and without without trying i don't know how it's gonna sound but there are different there are different levels of analysis different levels of like knowledge base but it doesn't matter i when i spoke to eos harris he didn't look down on me for not knowing as much as him you know I mean? the people that are really and they, they don't come off as and that's great because they don't come off as people that think well i know all this i can't learn anything because some people just might have a different viewpoint and sometimes it, you don't have to be the most analytical person to to be able to state something or know something and have a, have a good opinion on things too. And I just love the willingness for people to be heard and listen. And I don't, I, I love how the, people rarely take offense. Like you can have a legitimate conversation and a debate. And at the end of the day, you're shaking hands and on Twitter and social media in general, you don't see that often. So it's really, it's a nice breath of fresh air to be able to have a difference in an opinion. And at the end of the day, people are going to respect each other. You could be very wrong or I could be very wrong, but it's okay. Like no one is like it's awesome. It's it's kind of how society should run most of the time. You said, but just like any other society or, or community, there are some. You know, there are a few sour grapes or everyone call them sour apples, whatever the term is. But it's, sour it's, bananas. Sour bananas. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds disgusting. But yeah, yeah. But you mentioned first pitch Florida, first pitch Arizona. First off, awesome by baseball HQ. Put that on. It was a fantastic experience. I got a chance to meet a lot of people in person, like you said, and like you mentioned, it's not smoking mirrors. Everyone really is as cool, sometimes cooler than you actually think they are in, in real life. But mm-hmm. you've you're presenting for PitchCon again. This is actually gonna be. I'm gonna be honest. It's pre-recorded. This will drop the day after you present. But you're presenting at PitchCon. You also have presented in the past, as you mentioned off the air at Baseball HQ's uh, first pitch co- uh, conventions. How is being a presenter like how do you like dislike it like is it uncomfortable first kind of grow into it what's the yeah i mean it it, it's definitely uncomfortable (laughs) i think (laughs) i I think if you're if you're totally comfortable the first time you go up there it's uh either you're just a natural or you know you don't care enough um so you're gonna get those butterflies i still get them even you know most podcasts but any kind of live stream it's just like yeah people are looking at you people are it's i mean it's public speaking um i think the general tack that i take is people who are there who are either there in person like in first pitch or who are taking the time to log in and and watch a live stream and pitch con for four days they want to hear what you have to say. Like they're just genuinely interested in the game. They're generally interested in learning. And as someone who is invited to talk to these things, you, I, everybody in the industry, I mean, we have that expertise, we have that knowledge and we have those different viewpoints. So I think it's important to, um, to keep that in mind that you're the expert. Um, People want to hear what you have to say and just say it. And, you know, have some personality with it, too. Um, I, I try and interweave some some bad jokes as I go, some dad jokes. And sometimes they go over well, joke, sometimes right? they don't. But I love a good dad uh, joke. I, I, I'll, I'll be the first one. I make them on the podcast all the time. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even a dad until this year, so I didn't have that excuse. But but oh, now I do. So. <laughs> I started too young. I was I was 19. So that's all I know is being a dad. <laughs> I had my first kid. Now I got three. <laughs> I couldn't have a girl though. I tried. I had three boys. I'm done. But yeah, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. I love my kids, and boys are easy, especially when you just have the same clothes from one. You just pass it down to the other. It's a lot of money you save there. But uh, in all seriousness, though, uh, it's all it's awesome. Congratulations on being a father. By the way, it's awesome. It's kind of a weird. It's one of those rewarding but most painful experiences of your life. And. <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that's perfectly said. <laughs> there are times where it's amazing. There are times where it's he won't go to sleep or he won't wake up or, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's inconvenient. It's, unfortunately, it's, as bad as it is to say, it's sometimes being a parent is inconvenient. Like you yeah. have to pull out of your own personal wants and needs a secondary, which is part of being a parent, which I get it. But it's just like it's one of those things I call them five percent moments. That a kid being a parent can really suck for ninety five percent of the time, but those five percent of the mo- like those five percent moments where they take their first steps, they say their first words, they do something amazing. It like almost makes you forget about how rough the other ninety five percent can be, type of thing. So I call them five percent moments. That's just that's what I talk. That's what I look forward to as a parent. <laughs> and the other thing too to just like tie it back to to fantasy. I mean, it's just one thing we didn't talk about was just like having that grind to be in the industry. Um, oh yeah. You know, and that I've learned, especially this past year, like you really want to have to do it and keep at it because life throws different things at you and, and takes your time. So, um, yeah, doing it, with, uh, yeah. doing this with kids is way more difficult. Like people without kids oh, have a huge upper hand as far as growth and um, getting, you know, getting content out there for sure. 
I used to get up at my morning routine. I mean, I go to my day job at like eight o'clock, but I would get up at six and have two hours un- uninterrupted every morning where I could just pound out content, um, put together things for social media, all that sort of stuff. And now that's pretty much all out the window. Like my kid yeah. wakes up at six and um, I feed him, change a diaper to get him all ready, good daycare, mm-hmm. at least pre-quarantine. Um, so, so yeah, just got to uh, adjust, adapt and do what you the, can. The hard part is getting motivated when um, when they go down, you know, like they go down for a nap or something or you take, you know, you, you get a few hours away. Honestly, there's times where it's like the last thing I want to do is do anything. I just want to sit down and watch a movie. You're like, so relieved and you just want to like chill. Have a drink, have some bourbon and watch some have baseball, some, man. Have some bourbon and, and yeah, but yeah, that's the time you got to that's, that's gotta crank like, it up. It's really hard. That's why it is hard. I mean, and like you said, we all do. We do this for the love of it. We we really do. And that, it, it's it's one of those things like this grind. I love it and hate it at the same time. Sometimes you know, it's just it's crazy. I, I can't get enough of it. But at the same time, it's like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> I don't know. I can't. Comp- I don't know. At the end of the day, like I said, I'm really happy to be here doing this. We can move on though. Finally, you mentioned you're doing the uh, presentation at PitchCom. It's around bloom boards. A lot of this, a lot of what you've come, come known for are your bloom boards. And what exactly is a bloom board? How did you even come up with this, like, almost like process you've done to create these multiple boards you have at this point? Yeah, so they started, I mean, I actually started doing this research uh, years ago. I mean, really just for my own draft prep, but also for my articles at HQ. I mean, that's really how this stuff kind of bore out. And I really just like looking at the player pool in a little bit of a different manner. So um, what I hear a lot in the industry, and this is, I mean, this is the right way to go about it, is just player by player analysis. So a lot of people, when they when they draft prep, myself included, I go, I look at this player, dive into, you know, whatever, the stats, the injury history, you know, whatever that draft prep process is, do some kind of conclusion on that player, then go to the next player, rinse, repeat, go to the next player. Um, with with bloom boards and just my general process, I like to kind of look at it a different way. Look at the whole player pool and kind of filter out, make different filters of certain metrics and stats that I think are important, predictive, um, and interesting. And by doing that, by creating filters of, say, just for example, a number of hitters outside of the top 150 ADP with a strikeout rate below 20%, with a barrel rate above X percent, you get like a list of eight to 10 guys that maybe you glossed over when you were doing that first pass kind of player by player look um, of the player pool. And that's really what this, what this is it, with this bloom boards. And then that's what I just kind of branded it on Twitter last that year. As, awesome as brand. It. <laughs> I love it. It's alliteration, brand. alliteration sells, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, I mean, I just wanted to give it like a hashtag and brand it just so people can click on the hashtag and just see everything that I've done. Um, not no, just for me, cool. but just for their own sake. So they can look up, you know, you know, you just click the hashtag, click on latest and Twitter and you get basically the whole list of everything I've put out there for everybody. So um, it's been a blast. And you know, kind of the general theme behind it is to take data, take information from a ver- variety of different sources um, so I have my favorite sites. I have my favorite metrics within each site. So I use StatCast all the time. I use Fangraphs for plate discipline and, um, you know, certain metrics. I use HQs, um, advanced metrics for, uh, for my analysis as well. I don't, I don't typically put those out on Twitter just because those are behind our, um, those are for our subscribers, but then I also throw like ADP on it. And so you can kind of combine all these different data sources to get a, a better picture of a player and combine those things and, and what, see who bubbles up. So that's kind of the general theme behind it um, is to to take the stats that I'm interested in across sites, combine them and make them into something interesting that people who follow me can either start a conversation about um, or look into a certain player in a, in a deeper way. Have any of these uh boards stuck from like month to month or year do you like reapply them every so often see if new names pop up have you seen some be stickier than others as far as producing players that you know break out in a sense or are good fancy contributors yeah um so i i mean it's 
at a certain point, it gets hard to come up with so many different ways to slice and dice uh, mm-hmm. the player pool. So I do keep a lot of the same kind of scripts that I use. I, I do this all, and I'll talk about this a lot more at, at, at PitchCon, but I do this using um, SQL, SQL. And so I save a lot of the kind of queries that I write to, to do this. And I, I do look at them year over year and also look back to say, hey, this is what this filter generated last year, two years ago. How did that how did that cohort do? How did that group of players end up faring yeah. out? Because you want to make sure like information that I'm putting out there is not only actionable, usable, but, you know, you're not going to get all this stuff right. But, you know, on average, are we, are we right more than we're wrong? And, and hopefully that's uh, that's the case. So I do reuse a lot of things from year to year. Um, I reuse a lot of things from month to month, especially like with ADP. I look a lot at market shifting. So even like every two weeks, I'll look at uh, with news, especially, I mean, the last couple of weeks or months at this point, <laughs> there hasn't been much movement because there hasn't been much news. But I think it's really important to look at player movement kind of week by week with the ADP on the NFBC. Um, I'll also even look at, you know, changes in format. So NFBC has draft champions, uh, which is generally draft and hold generally early on in draft season. People shift from that generally to things like the online championship and then eventually main event where fab is involved. And so that changes people's um, opinion of the market. And I I think it's important to kind of compare, for example, I have some boards comparing ADP by game format, because if you just go to NFBC and, and, and look at the first pass ADP, that includes every single format, including like best ball and points. So you want to make sure that uh, you're using the right one. So, so yeah, I do have a, a you know, a, a nice core of things that I use. I'm, I'm constantly checking them to make sure year to year that what I'm doing is at least somewhat successful. Uh, things have dried up a little bit lately just because there's just been no new information. But once hopefully the season gets started, we will, uh, we'll ramp this stuff back up again for sure. No, it's it's awesome, and I love the boom boards because there's always some interesting names. Like you'll have like two or three obvious names, and it's like one or two like standout names. And you're right; it makes you go like, "Huh, there's got to be something there." Mm-hmm. Like I, I've I've yet to find something successful as far as per, like a personal way of breaking down groups of players. I'm very big on the player by player analysis. It's just what I found my strength to be. The way I've come to do it a little better. I hate doing. I hate ranks. I, I truly hate ranks. I'm not a ranks guy. I'm a I'm a market insufficiency guy. I like to try to target values throughout the draft, return on investments, and team building. Team structure is really big as far as like how I go about building a team in general. But with that yep. said, I do I do ranks and I do positional ranks on purpose because if I do top 30 at first base, second, third, shortstop, top 80 to 100 in outfield, and top 100 pitchers, that's already over 300 players I'm looking at <laughs> minimum. And I usually, when I do my ranks, I take them very serious to a point where I go player by player. So it gets my eyes on over 300 players and a really good solid start to the player pool. The problem is, is by then I'm usually pretty burned out. So I miss out on the other like 500 I need to look at like in, a, in depth. Like I think this year and guys that are boring, I kind of will get lazy with like Archer. I got boring. So I missed the first and second half splits at first for, at first glimpse. I missed. I knew about Caleb Smith's like post injury numbers because I'm a Marlins fan. Yes, they exist. I'm wearing a shirt today. I'm like one of seven. I get that. But uh, but I, I knew about his struggles because I watched him, but I didn't really look into the numbers and how different he just the, the approach and everything else that went behind it. And I'm a big tangible change guy, so I'm buying back in on Smith as price due to the fact that I think the injury really hindered him. That's a whole other discussion. I guess my point is I need to get better at what you do because I think a broad stroke can help highlight some of these names that need that that warrant those deeper looks that I like to actually do as an analyst myself. Yeah, for sure. And that and that's exactly like my point is that, again I go player to player too, mm-hmm. but like we're human. We were just talking about this. Like yeah. You just put the kid down like you're exhausted. You go through 10 play. I mean, you go through a group of 10 players. Are you are you just human nature? Are you going to give those 10 players equal kind of, you know, equal weight, equal time, equal attention as you go every single day? I mean, no, like there, there's no way that you're going through that many players and um, and giving everyone the level of detail that they need, at least speaking for myself. Um, it, it's just it's human nature. So. So, yeah, that is a big component of this is to kind of, like you said, fill in those holes for guys that you might not have noticed. Like, a Chris, I mean, that Chris Archer example is perfect. Like you think of a Chris Archer, I could, you know, in 30 seconds say, oh, you know, his skills have been better than his stats for years. I'm just not touching Chris Archer. And then you move on to the next guy. Uh, but yeah, you do. It's like, <laughs> exactly. And you, 
you miss, like you said, the first second half. You miss the pitch mix changes that Archer yeah. actually had yeah. made in in the second half. And, and yeah, that's those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to. I do actually have a bloom board that looks at first second half pitch mix changes and the guys who had the most change from from first to second half. And then that bubbles up a list of ten pitchers that like, oh, I only spent you know one minute on this guy. Maybe I need to go spend five and see what's up. And then sometimes like a Tanaka, like I love when people find stuff I don't. Part of me is very competitive, so it's like, how did I miss this? But then you remember the player pool is like legitimately these days, especially if you play in DCs, which I play in draft champions leagues myself these days. So the player pool is at least 750 players. And there are at least 750 analysts these days. And so with that, it's rare you're you're the first to any information. It's all about presenting it well. And I used to be like, oh, how did I miss that? Now I'm more like, now I welcome other people regurgitating information I might have missed. Or even if I said it first, quote, unquote, you know, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Because I, I love seeing all this information out there because there's more than ever. That's why sleepers don't exist anymore. That's why. No, that's they don't. Is, that term is gone because there's so much information at everyone's hands. But I forgot where I was going. It doesn't even... Oh, yeah, especially, actually, I, I mean... No, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I just remember because that, that reminded me of, um what it was was like individual pitch mixer discussion was um Tanaka and his splitter, the effectiveness of it just in the final month or so of the season. Like something like that. I definitely looked over because you're looking at overall stats and you realize, well, there was a little better. It was a little better towards the end. And I never dug into why. I just figured I just kind of like chalked up to Tanaka's aging poorly and his elbow is going to finally give out. But there's more to it. He actually found out how to grip the ball. And thus with the ball came a better splitter, better success. And it's just like, again, tangible change really makes a huge difference in how you rank a player. And I moved him up my rankings because of that. But again, it just goes back to, like you said, like, you can't over. You can't even overlook a veterans anymore, man. Even veterans are. You can't teach old dog new tricks these days. So you gotta really pay. You gotta pay attention to that stuff. Especially, I mean, especially pitchers. Like yeah. I, I really, even more so than hitters. Like so much can change so quickly with pitchers um, that you really do have to look at these guys every year as 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 new folks. And yes, like that Tanaka example is just spot on because you would think of Tanaka as again as you're going player by player. Oh, I know who this guy is. But then, yeah, like you said, you. you take that deeper look Tanaka's splitter swing strike weight swinging strike rate I should get that right before pitch con <laughs> uh drop from 22 percent to 11 percent like what that doesn't make any sense and then you yeah. dive a little bit deeper and yeah he says he couldn't really grip the ball um so that's how you know that's his excuse at least of why he lost effectiveness of the splitter that's actually something I I probably buy because it's been so good for so long so then you you know do you hedge that in 2020? We're, you know, what ball are we going to have? That's a whole separate discussion. But it's just those kinds of things that um, you might just miss just by glossing over uh, some of these veterans. Now, when you're breaking down a pitcher or a hitter, do you have a starting spot as far as um, just what stats you kind of start with? Or do you kind of look at maybe the surface stats, look at some things and then kind of let the stats guide you? I have a starting point with pretty much everyone, and then I let the, from from that starting point is where I kind of just go off wherever I'm taken from the stats or the numbers I see. Yeah. So what I do is generally I I really do not look at the surface stats like mm-hmm. at all. Um, for for people listening who subscribe to HQ and have heard of the Mayberry method, I'll just really quickly go through that. That's basically rating a hitter or pitcher on a zero to five scale for each category. So for example, um, like uh, top of my list, Jose Abreu is, you know, generally a power guy, no speed and decent and really good average. So what I do in, in my draft process is I look at a, a, just a couple of, of power skills that I think are important. So I use barrel rate and one of HQ's metrics, um, XPX, which is basically a hard hit line drive, hard hit fly ball metric. I use those just to get a general zero to five rating of Jose Abreu's power. And I look at that and I look at the underlying metrics, look at any kind of swing change or sort of things and slap a zero to five on them. I do the same thing for speed. I do the same thing for average um, and and build just a profile of each player that way. So Jose Abreu is like a five for power, zero for speed um, and a four for average. So I just know just by looking at five, zero, four, he is a power hitter with good average. And what, what that what that does and I don't and, you know, it's it's imprecise by design. Like I I really don't want to spend my time wondering if Jose Abreu is going to hit. 
33 homers or 35 homers and 105 RBI, 110 RBI. I don't think that's, you know, the player pool is so vast that I don't think that's an efficient use of my time. So I do that kind of broad ranking and Ron Chandler started this concept um, years ago at HQ. I do that for every single player in the pool. And so by doing that, I can identify, um, you know, guys who have similar skill profiles. So like a Jose Abreu, but further in down the ADP. So like one example for this year at first base, someone who is very similar to Jose Abreu going very late in drafts is like a CJ Crone. Doesn't quite have the average upside of Abreu, but has equal power and uh, is going like in the 16th round. So that's my general process is to embrace the imprecision, rate these guys on power, speed, average, or for uh, pitchers, um, strikeouts, ERA, and whip, and keep it simple. Um, I think that's uh, the big thing for me is if I get too bogged down in in each individual player's precise projection, A, I'm never going to get through the entire player pool, and B, no one is that accurate or correct anyway so why not just embrace the general um, skill profiles of each guy yeah and that goes back into my team building i usually target team roster construction based on skill sets i don't look at i i I don't really look at projections because they again they are just essentially taking past information and some of the present stuff and kind of merging it whereas you can see somebody that maybe if you look at beyond projections obviously you're seeing like maybe some trajectory in their skill set their numbers like Goldschmidt comes to mind right away. You see, like, I think it was over the last five years, his K percentage slightly went up while his walk rate slightly declined. I'm talking about it's very gradual, too. It's one of those, mm-hmm. there is no cliff. It's been a very, very gradual. The sprint speed is slightly ticked down every year. The plate discipline has slightly gotten worse. And it's just, but the projections might favor him a lot more than what I'm seeing in the profile. And that's why I, I like how you simplify it for yourself and for others to see. But I know the process to get there isn't as simple. You're going, you're probably, you're doing a similar assessment on players for the most part, if I, right? I mean, you talk about yeah, long yeah. And like, I mean, the Goldschmidt example is perfect because a lot of projection systems, I don't mean to speak just broadly, but a lot of projection systems just start with like a three year weighted average. And Paul Goldschmidt mm-hmm. for stolen bases specifically, like mm-hmm. his stolen base three year average is actually pretty damn good. But the reason why I go through player by player in each each category is to just give it that kind of common sense check, right? Goldschmidt's getting older. You mentioned the sprint speed's down, um, but he's also with St. Louis now, and St. Louis doesn't run. Like Those are the kinds of things that you need to look at just outside of averaging numbers to uh, to, to slap a number on him. So like a Goldschmidt, I'll, I'll look at that information on the zero to five scale, probably give him like a one for steals just because he'll probably snag a couple bags, but but he's not what he was. And, but just by giving him that one on a zero to five scale, I can just quickly look at that and say, yeah, I'll get a few bags from him, but, but that's about it. I don't need to worry about, is it going to be two steals? Is it going to be four steals? Is his dollar value going to go from, you know, 22 to 23 because of that? Um, That's just not my, that's not my wheelhouse. So I got you. When you're breaking down players, do you prefer hitters or pitchers? Um, I prefer actually, I, that's, that's a great question. I prefer pitchers just because it's like, so there's fun. so much more you can look at with, yeah. with the numbers and with the tape. Like I love looking into a pitcher's pitch mix and looking at how they adjust and how that pitch mix changes even within a season. I mean, we were just talking about David or not David price, <laughs> um, Chris Archer, just by being able to look at the mix and 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 analyze that way is is so much fun. Um, like a Lucas Giolito, for example, this year, that's another guy who like a projection system, three-year weighted average is yeah. going to just hate Giolito <laughs> because, right, two years ago, he had the worst qualified ERA in baseball. <laughs> um, but you look at what he did. Yeah, you look at what he did last year, and then you look at the pieces of how that came together, the velocity uptick. Um, the I think he went the pitch mix change. Yeah, he went the drive line and didn't he also fix a sleeping issue or something as well i don't i remember like that's another thing like i've gotten better i've realized that and it's a personal thing i've been trying to get get, get better and remember to do is just simply do a google search on some of these players and yep. see well why yep. is there changing the numbers and you'll find out that you missed a story 
preseason or middle of the season that oh yeah there was a swing change or oh yeah there's a uh, there was a he had a procedure to help his breathing or whatever it is like little things like that can go a long way and you can't measure some of that in the numbers hitters you kind of can measure a swing change because you can see a launch angle change you can see the barrels go up it gives you an idea he's making better quality of contact or added loft to his swing but did he ch- let's go further and then you watch tape you can see the swing change stuff like that so it's a little easier mm-hmm. for hitters with pitchers it's not always pitch mix and velocity, which that's where I start. I always go to look at that and see that's kind of my starting point. And then I go to see the effectiveness of pitchers, pitches from there. Again, it's always a process, but I always start at, for me, for with hitters, it's always plate discipline. Love plate discipline. I don't know what it is about plate discipline. It is by far my favorite thing to look at on fan graphs. I'll sit there and just stare at that stuff. I just sit there. I, that's where I start with every hitter because from there, I feel like you can tell a lot. Like If you look at walk rates and K rates, and that, that's that's about as surface as I go. I don't care about like home, home runs or something unless there's a spike in the home run rate and all that. I don't care about it, but at the end of the day, I still look for why. I mean, yeah, sure, he did last year, but why? I start, I, and then you start with the plate discipline. The reason why I go plate discipline, you can see if they were more aggressive at the plate versus prior to their own previous last year or two, you're like, oh, maybe that aggressive, that aggression added more contact. You look at contact, is right there, contact, like, oh, he made more contact. All right, made more zone contact. Sure, he added a little more aggression to his swing, so there's a little more chase and a little more swing strike rate, but again, a lot, all that can be seen in one spot, and that's why with every hitter, I, I like to start there. And then from there, I kind of just go down like various rabbit holes. I'll spend like three hours on player. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, and especially that helps you determine what I always look at is how much of last year should we take into account for this year? And like, I still think like regression is the biggest force in our game. But, and, and Jeff Erickson and, and Scott Pianowski both say this, like regress to what? Like how, you know, if someone breaks out, how much of that was a legitimate change? And there's like, I mean, you were just mentioning it, Mike, there's two ways to do that both are useful is looking at, you know, as deep as you can go with the plate discipline stuff, but also putting in the time to go through news logs and like figure out, I mean, these guys are humans. I mean, what, you know, what change in this person's life or um, approach to the game that that's the kind of stuff where like the the industry is so competitive now in terms of just the level of analysis is, is fantastic you really got to put that level of effort in there to really find those like hidden gems. And even then someone finds it and just, and just tweets it out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like in the middle of your analysis, this nice long write up of, of, on a player. And next thing you know, Oh, it's on yeah. Twitter. Sweet. <laughs> what is it? I, I spent a year on this and he just, he just tweeted it out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's not even like the same level as of, of in-depthness. If that's even a real word, but it's not even that same Close like enough. level. Yeah, it's not even at that same level, but it doesn't matter because he put that information, that person put that information out there. And now it's like, well, I did. I have it here. I have it here, too. But all the buzz has already been created. So now, yeah, that like you said, that's that's a whole other discussion, though. But uh, I guess. OK, so, so we discussed we discussed your a bit about your evaluation, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's a lot of stuff. Let's go ahead and end it with a couple players that you might be higher on or lower on or and lower on. It depends which way you want to go. I don't know. Your, I don't know your list. Don't know your players. But overall, which ones are you higher or lower on and why? All right. On that note, we're going to go ahead and take a brief break and we'll be right back with you after a word from our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. All right. Uh... And we'll start, we'll start positive. Let's do that. <laughs> um, one guy who, and I actually, I can't believe I'm saying this. I uh, did not think I'd be saying this a year ago. This is someone last year who was going like late second or uh, early third round in drafts. Um, and I was totally off. Now is going in the ninth round and that's Andrew Benintendi uh, for Boston. I, again, was totally off him last year, but you look at, just the factors of what went into last year, again, going into that um, kind of next level of, of deep dive. Andrew Benintendi put on 20 pounds um, last year, changed his approach at the plate, had a major uptick in fly ball rate, um, conceded strikeout. So, like, he was just a totally different hitter than what we saw in uh, 2017. 
And I don't think, you know, Ben Attendee has realized that. He has acknowledged that what he tried to do, the genuine approach change last year, just didn't work. And uh, talk is cheap, but he's down 20 pounds again and vowing to go back to the hitter that he was in 2017. If that's the case, the market has really soured on Benintendi as a ninth rounder for someone who's still just um, 24, I believe, 24, 25, and has that prospect pedigree. And Benintendi was like a top three prospect coming up and has shown that he can produce at the major league level. He's coming off a, a pretty bad year um, and thinks he knows what what caused it. So all those things combined, I think that's somebody who has the skills and has a reasonable market value that, uh, that I think is going to rebound should we play in 2020. Yeah, see, I was initially out on him as well. And then recently I decided to take a look at, okay, I'm like, all right, this guy didn't just get worse. He should be entering his prime. What happened? And you look and you said, like you said, he was pressing more. Again, please discipline showed a change right there. He was pressing a lot more, really trying to pull the ball, kind of take advantage of, the, you know, getting the ball in the air more, change his launch angle up a little bit. And with it, created more holes in the swing. He was also uh, putting, he was actually popping the ball up a lot more, inducing a lot more soft contact, actually. And the home run rate was actually lower. He made a midseason swing change. And with the swing change came the production. It still wasn't as good as we would have liked, but it was better. And the home run rate was actually, home run per nine was actually up a lot. And there was a lot of just positive correlations with the swing change and then spring and then fast forward to spring training and i'm giving it a broad stroke because i don't want to focus too much on him because you already spoke on him but sure. spring training he had a steal a home run and i believe was hitting like 285 or something which is again ben attendee and i think people just need to realize ben attendee might just be that 2020 guy and bat 280 which is fine but people just need to understand some people don't want to accept the fact that that could be who he is and just like from a um exactly and i think that's spot on i I think people expecting him to be just a fantasy monster will probably be disappointed, but he doesn't need to be a fantasy monster in the ninth round, especially, you know, Mike, you were talking about like, uh, you know, roster building and team building. He's one of the few guys who is a five category producer that's going that late in drafts. Like if you're trying to build a flexible base and, and, and you want to just be able to take the best guy available late in the draft and then the guys you want to take flyers on late in the draft, you need to build with those Benintendi types who are going to give you balanced production early on. So then you can kind of adjust on the fly from a, from a roster construction aspect. So that's another big reason why I like Benintendi. Like you said, 2020, I mean, that, that's golden, both from just straight valuation and from roster balance and roster construction. So, hey, so yeah, that's a great point. I would say even if he's only 2015, because I know 2020 right. might be a reach. Because uh, he had well, especially he, in a half season. But, yeah, well, yeah. well, yeah, in a half season, he's probably more like a 10-10 guy. But yeah. I guess my point is, is like I know last year, then he put up like 15. I know he was injury; it was injury shortened, but 15 stolen bases or so. I remember or 12 last year, whatever it was. So even if it is only a 2015 type of guy, it's still very valuable outside the top 100 picks. So. I again, I just I just changed my tune on them. There's like a there's like a segment I do every so often about you know change of heart players I've had this year. That's one of them, but. We can transition over to your next guy if you'd like. I'm going to go negative now. Um, someone who, I don't know, like I'm not really super like low. He's not going to bust, but someone going very early in drafts, I think late second round now, and that's Glaber Torres. Um, I just think he, I, it's weird to say this from someone so young with the prospect pedigree. That I, I, I think Torres just had his career year. Um, he had a, I mean, admittedly fantastic season last year. Um, 38 homers, 278 batting average. I just, I, I think that's, I think that's his ceiling, and I think people are drafting him based on that. Again, it's it's odd to say that it's an age 23 guy with that prospect hype, second and short eligibility. Um, but just from the hard hit, um, the, the the plate approach, I I don't see another step up from that. And even if you go by last year, Torres only stole five bases. Um, he was like a mid $20 earner. And if you think that's his ceiling, which again, I do, there's pretty much no room for profit um, where he's being drafted like 30 ADP. So um, Glaber Torres is not going to bust. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic player. I just think he's more likely to give you, you know, sixth round value out of a, out of a second round pick. And um to kind of say like the age 23 thing. I mean, it's definitely plausible that people have their career year 
in their second year in the majors. I don't think we can just assume further growth. I mean, we're just talking about Ben Intendi, who um, who had a down year in his age 24 season. So um, Torres is my guy who I who I'm off of. Again, not going to bust. I get the I get the I get the case for him, but um, the skills just didn't support last year, and his price is essentially assuming a, a total repeat. And I don't I don't see a path to that. And the crazy part is, is like, first off, I'm with you, but you initially, like you said, the second year career thing. And I think there's a chance that we saw somebody have their career in their rookie year and, and Pete Alonzo. I know it's kind of a little tangent, but no. the, the amount of the, the home runs and all that, there's a chance he never hits 50 again. You know, that's just a, it was a, that's a tough amount to come to. And that was with a juice ball. And if they never go back to that juice ball, I mean, I'm not saying the power is legit, but we could very well have seen his career year as far as home runs go. Not saying all encompassing and like Torres, I'm with you. I think the power was a career best year, just like Bregman kind of a lot of these guys that took advantage of the ball type. It all depends on how the ball plays, honestly, but um, I don't think these guys are the home run hitters. They are, but I think Torres, like you said, I don't think he's going to bust by him with you as far as his value this year. I think there's no, there's no value to be had there. It's you're taking him at a ceiling and hoping he comes up and hoping he does it again. So just to go back to Alonzo, and he is actually one of the other guys I had listed of, of guys who I've, and I've been talking about throughout this draft season of guys who I've been out on. So you mentioned like Pete Alonzo not hitting 50 homers again. Yeah. Um, the fact that he did that in his rookie year is just mind blowing. I, I, I agree. I think I, I don't see him doing that again. If you look back and actually one of the, one of the slides I have for PitchCon, one of the bloom boards I did was actually all on Pete Alonzo and regression. So um, in the entire decade of, I can spoil this because it's not coming out until after, but yeah, um, the entire 2010s, there were only outside of Alonzo, there were only four other hitters to hit over 50 home runs in the entire decade. So that obviously a, you know, doesn't bode well for Pete Alonzo to repeat obviously half season, whatever. Um, but the, the bigger thing is that group, that group of four. So Jose Bautista in 2010, Chris Davis with a C in 2013, and then judge and Stanton in 2017, um, their home run totals, the following season were 43, which was the high Bautista in 2011, yeah. Chris Davis, the next year after he hit 53, hit 26, yeah. Aaron judge the year after he hit 52, hit 27, Stanton, the year after he hit 59, hit 38. So that group averaged 32 home runs the year after they hit 50. Like, that That's is just me. And, I mean, those are all – when you look at the power metrics for those guys who hit 50 in the year that they did, and I'm willing to bet that the power metrics all look fantastic, all look great. You know, they didn't have barrels back in 2010 or 2013 for Bautista or Davis, but I'm sure all that stuff looked great. But it's just so hard – to repeat any kind of outlier stat like that. And in Alonzo's case, like he doesn't have anything else to fall back on. Like he doesn't steal. There's, there's batting average downside. Um, There's just a lot of ways that can go wrong um, where he's being picked. And, and you're right. Like, because he's a rookie, people may just think, Oh, that's who he is. 50 home runs every year. Well, like no one does that anymore. And people forget, like it's like recency bias goes out the window. Cause I mean, I remember, I'm sure I'm missing one since then, but Bellinger's what comes who comes to mind with sophomore slumps, you know? Those are very much a real thing. Olsen, who came up and lit the world on fire that half season, the next year was being drafted similar to Louis Alonzo now, and we saw what happened. They just had a down year, and that's and then now you're adding a shortened season with, with crazy who knows what's going to happen. I mean, I'm even more out on the idea. It's going to suck in general. I think players in, on a short season maybe. Heck, maybe I'm spoil. It's not a spoiler because I'm going to be talking about it. But I think when you're drafting players in a shortened season, I think you need to pr- draft guys who are proven or and know and kind of have a routine and probably know how to play through adverse like situations because they know how to go about handling their health, handling travel, and all that. Whereas the young guys are kind of like still learning and getting into their habits. So I, don't, I know it's like a thing you can't measure, but I that's my that's my thing. So and then you have Alonzo and like I said just so much going on. And this year in general, I, th- I think stats in general get thrown out the window, though. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah, that's another another talk. But yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen people post. You look at the first hundred games of last year, and you look at the ERA leaders. Like yeah. John Means had a two ninety five ERA through the Orioles' first hundred games last year. I still and, uh, get it. 
And, and yeah, like that's going to be, if we have a season and we look at that coming into 2021, like that's the information we're going to have to go off of. So uh, tread carefully, but we'll have plenty of time to yeah, dissect that's, that. That's uh, hopefully we get to at, that point. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Hopefully. And that's why you look at tangible change and pitch mix and stuff like that. That's why deeper looks are definitely more warranted on a shortened season. But that, uh, is there any other, I wasn't sure if there was anybody else on your list. If not, we'll call it a show. It's, yeah, um, I mean, just one last guy, just okay. kind of a late stab, or a couple of late pitchers that I've been okay. I've been on, Tyler Malley and Matt Shoemaker, okay. especially. Okay. And these are guys. I mean, these are guys going like thirtieth round. So this is like yeah. your last pick in a fifteen team league. Um, so you know, if they're wrong, don't you know, don't <laughs> don't go after me. But uh, especially Shoemaker, like I think the I think the short season really helps him. Just uh, I, I feel like Shoemaker is somewhat of like a ticking time bomb for when he's going to get hurt. Like we know he's going to get hurt. Um, but with a shortened season, like he can, if he lasts two months, that's two thirds of the season. And, and he can put up really good numbers. He looked good this spring coming off a non arm injury. So uh, I believe it was his knee uh, pitched well this spring and was really dominant um, in 2019 before he got hurt. So he's someone in a short, in a short sprint, I think could really, uh, uh, give you some value in the 30th round. And Tyler Malley, I just like a lot. He's another bloom boards guy. His combination of throwing strikes, getting ground balls, and getting whiffs is actually pretty damn good when you group that cohort in. There's a lot of really good pitchers um, in the beginnings of drafts, the middle of drafts, and then there's Tyler Malley. So that's someone who, if I'm going player by player, like I, you know, do I even get to Tyler Malley that far down on the list? No, but he's probably. someone who bubbles up on a lot of the, the things I'm looking at. So we'll see. Yeah, those are, and I, I love taking shots. And like, there's no, it's, those are lottery tickets, man. Little risk, high reward, and not you cut them, especially if it's that type of league. The draft yep. and hold, draft and hold, they hold their value because in VCs, because now you're getting innings. Innings yep. have value that late. So at the end of the day, I have no issue that uh, Shoemaker is the more interesting one for me because I think it was the splitter, right? He started on the splitter, and last year it was super effective. He, I think he threw it like 50% of the time or something crazy. Ground balls and whiffs with it. It was, it was good. Yeah. All right. Well, so. like I said, on that note, I appreciate you joining me, Ryan. I know it's chaotic. Your home's going, you have kids in the background. I have kids in the background. It's awesome. This is a Saturday morning podcast for those. So don't mind it. Plus, it's real life. We're doing this because we love it. So, again, thank you for joining me, taking the time, man. You can follow Ryan on Twitter. I just put it, of course, I just put it down. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell them that? Oh, that <laughs> at, oh, yeah. oh, at Ryan BHQ, you'll find me on there. Just search Bloomfield Baseball, uh, whatever. Bloom boards. This Bloom, something will come up. Super professional. That's a super professional way for me to let you get out of here. Um, check check out if you haven't checked it out, you can actually go back and check out his PitchCon presentation as well. It's actually available at PitcherList and all that. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Curland. Uh, Bases Loaded Pod is at Bases Loaded Pod. Five star rating reviews greatly appreciated. And as always, through all these trying times, we just appreciate you listening, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>